is an interview with Oleksi Haran, who is a, a professor of political science from Kiev. We're very happy to have him today in Sofia after a um, long trip across Europe to present the What Does Ukraine Think publication. The presentation of this publication started in uh, Paris. Uh, we did uh, such presentations in Madrid, London Bel and Berlin. Today, Professor Faran is with us in Sofia and I'm very happy uh, that we are able to ask him a couple of questions, in particular about the situation in Eastern Ukraine. How would you like to describe the current situation in the East? Uh, and what, in your view, is the major problem for the time being? Okay, thank you very much for this opportunity. First of all, I would like to say that uh, as a political scientist, I have decided to visit this place at the front line, and I've been there several times. Uh, basically, all the most uh, important places, including airport and the Baltseva. I spent New Year, I uh, actually celebrated New Year in Piski near Donetsk and near the airport with uh, Ukrainian soldiers. So I've seen something by my eyes. And my impression, perhaps we can, would be able also to talk about that, but in general, what we have right now in uh, in the east, in Donbass, and let, let's be precise, mm -hmm. the occupied territories comprise one-third of the territory under, of Donbass, which is about 3% of Ukrainian territory. Mm -hmm. So definitely nobody can talk about, you know, civil war, split of the country, south-east, the whole Donbass, it's just, you know, part of Donbass, and this area is controlled with the help of Russian regular troops. So if we describe situation right now, unfortunately, after the signing of Minsk II agreements, the same happened as with Minsk I. Minsk II agreements were violated from the very beginning, the storming of the Baltseva, which was actually on Ukrainian side. So it was clear and cynical violation of agreements. And then you have, a, well, we may call it low-intensity war, low-intensity conflict, so, uh, unfortunately, shelling and attacks are all the time. And this actually creates a situation, very difficult situation for Ukrainian society and for Ukrainian soldiers there. Because the question is, if it's ceasefire, why our citizens are dying every day? Okay, so uh, my point is that uh, Putin will continue to use it as a wound in the body of Ukraine in order to divert Ukrainian energy resources from domestic reforms uh, to destabilize the situation not only in the East but uh, in general in the country because the war definitely uh, influences the economic situation in the country and uh, then to proceed to political destabilization of Kyiv, which is a final aim of Putin, because definitely he doesn't want, you know, to annex Donbass, to make it uh, Russian territory. Russia simply doesn't have resources to do that. But so this is one of the aims of Putin. And to, and I would say the main aim of Putin. And to reach it, he may use different also tactics. One, as I have said, is a low intensity, conflict, so uh, 
uh, we are saying that there was hybrid war, it never stopped. And there's a hybrid peace, which is actually, actually not a peace. But the trick is that from the formal point of view, Putin is saying, I'm in favor of territorial integrity of Ukraine. I would agree, this is part of Ukraine, but let's make this, let's legitimize the separatists and uh, uh, let's give a special status to these areas. And so it's a uh, Ukrainian analyst compare it to Bosnia, Bosnianization of Ukraine. When you have um, not only autonomous part, but actually quasi-state, uh, which will have a veto power or, or possibility to influence both Kyiv domestic and foreign policy. And I think this is a trick from Putin's side because actually he's going to uh, involve Europeans in this kind of negotiations and talks. Because Europeans definitely they would like to prevent war. But to prevent war they may follow and be in Putin's trap. So in order to prevent war you need to have dialogue, inclusive dialogue, you need to have constitutional reform. So remember what happened in Transnistria. Okay, so the West agreed that Moldova and Transnistria are equal parts in negotiation, which for me was a mistake. So basically Putin would like also to legitimize Russia controlled separatists, which definitely are not an independent place. They are controlled, they are controlled by Russia. And in doing that, he is trying to use some items of Minsk to agreement, specifically number 11 item. I think this is a very interesting point and I'm looking forward to you telling us more about it. But can you just zoom out one step and tell us how the Minsk agreement is implemented to date? Not implemented. Not implemented. So first of all, okay, so Minsk agreement is actually from the very beginning very contradictory, very complex document and many analysts said at the beginning, I was a bit optimistic about that, and I will tell you why. Because number one is ceasefire, number two is withdrawal of heavy weapons, number, I guess, four is exchange prisoners all for all, and this is easy to implement from technical point of view, if there is a political will. But it never happened. Moreover, as I have said from the very beginning, the Baltica was seized by uh, Russian troops, and then there was no ceasefire, no withdrawal of heavy weapons. So, question is, how can we proceed to item 10, 11, and 12 without fulfilling this first and the basic uh, clauses of Minsk agreements? And item 11 is about? I, uh, is, is about uh, the special status for the special districts of Donbass, which should be somehow reflected in the Ukrainian constitution. Okay, so again, how can we proceed to that? Because number 10 but is withdrawn. How did we arrive to discuss number 11? Maybe you should tell us a little bit about how this at all came up on the Ukrainian agenda now. The discussion about constitutional changes. Well, the constitutional changes are taught, well, I would say this, this is a different thing, okay, because Ukraine decentralization, and it's clear that there is a basic agreement in Ukraine among all the political forces and civil society and experts. So we need decentralization, so more power to uh, 
but not to regions in sense Russia would like to impose on Ukraine, talking about so-called federalization, but at the basic level, the level of local community, this is the most important thing to do. And now there is a constitutional plan on decentralization. By the way, basically it was approved by the Venice Commission with some suggestions, but basically it approved. The question is now it will be debated in the parliament, we need constitutional majority for that, two-thirds of the votes. But now the question is how to implement number 11. And but who suggested that you implement number 11? Okay, so first of all, uh, I wasn't inside that Minsk, uh, Minsk talks. Uh, I believe this is part of idea from the Russian side, which was somehow imposed on Western leaders and then imposed on Ukraine. I believe in Minsk, Ukraine was under pressure from Russia, but the Western leaders also wanted, you know, to, to have peace, to have ceasefire, and that's how it emerged. Now, the question is, what is the sequence of implementation? Before talking, number 10 clause is withdrawal of Russian troops and mercenaries from the territory of Ukraine. So again, can we proceed to number 11 without one, two, three, without elections, which is, would be also difficult to do if we have armed people there. But Regarding elections in Minsk agreements, it's more or less clear formulations that elections should be held based on Ukrainian law and with the participation of the observers OSCE, free and fair. Frankly speaking, I cannot imagine how it could happen, okay? Because the armed separatists are there, Russian regular troops are there, I cannot imagine. But who knows, you know, maybe, because the most important thing for Ukraine and what Poroshenko would like to have. He would like to establish control over Ukrainian-Russian border with participation of OSCE. This is his main aim. Because if we establish that, then it would change the whole table for negotiations with separatists, even with the possibility if they are elected. Okay? So this would be a very long game, I believe. But at this point, I don't think how this election, frankly speaking, how they could be held. We can debate in the groups how to provide it, and, but it's difficult to imagine. As to the number 11, the sudden suggestion came from Brussels. It was tested in uh, contacts with Ukrainian parliamentarians and uh, with uh, Ukrainian president that Yes, Ukraine is demonstrating in general its goodwill. But why not demonstrate it also regarding number 11, number constitutional changes, without one, two, three? Okay, so this is, we are recommending to Ukraine to start to implement this part of the agreement without reaching the, some basic things. And I consider it as a pure, you know, appeasement of Putin. That's exactly what Putin wants. Now, right just, you know, half an hour ago, I have read the news from Ukraine, which was expressed 
by one of the members of the Constitutional Commission, and he said, this is Ukrainian response to Western suggestion in Russia, but typical in Ukrainian, you know, Ukrainian balancing and maneuvering, that he said, okay, we're gonna fix it in the Constitution, but in the transitional clauses, and it will say that these districts will have a special status, which is regulated by Ukrainian law on a special status of this territory, which had been adopted. Yes. Okay? So this is our response to the pressure, the kind of diplomatic response. But, so, you know, there will be maneuvering about that. But basically, I would like to stress that I don't think this idea to start implementing the final provisions of Minsk agreements is good right now. I view it without any diplomatic overtures. I, I see it as kind of appeasement for Putin. By the way, today there was also a statement of Chancellor Merkel, and there was an interesting formulation that both sides are guilty in uh, violation of ceasefire, but definitely the separatists uh, uh, did more violations. Okay, so I don't know how to interpret it, whether it's in favor of Ukraine and or not. Because, frankly speaking, I don't like the Western approach. We try, try to, to put Equalize. the responsibility on both sides. Listen, let, let's just consider, is Ukraine interested in violations of ceasefire? No, we need stability. We need stability, even if the part of Donbass is occupied. Why Russia is not interested in stability. What will happen when, by the end of this year, which is the duration of the, uh, which is, let's say, the horizon of the Minsk Agreement, none of the clauses are fulfilled? What, in your view, will happen with the, with the East? I think stay status quo. And basically, I think this is not the worst scenario. So I believe if this is a so-called scenario, no war, no peace, Negotiations are going on with some, but without fixing, without fixing some things. And frankly speaking, I don't think this is the worst scenario for Ukraine, because this is reality. We cannot liberate occupied territories, we cannot do that. We are not responsible for them right now. Let's concentrate on reforms within Ukraine, which we desperately need, but definitely to do that, we need to seal the front line from military point of view. And here we need definitely support from Europe and the United States. So it Perhaps it would be also good to change the format of talks, because they started in Geneva format, United States, EU, Russia and Ukraine, and then they ended in Normandy format. Mm -hmm. Okay, so perhaps it would be better to have US at the table and EU as a general at the table. So you, you see the scenario of Ukraine living with this low-intensity conflict uh, and trying to reform itself at the same time while Russia continues to try to destabilize and the international community basically arbitraging between the two? Well, actually not, so let me clarify. I think this scenario, because if Russia continues destabilization and low-intensity conflict, this will be not good also for Ukraine. We wouldn't be able to concentrate on domestic reforms. What I uh, 
uh, how I see this variant to work if there are continuation of Western sanctions and support to build Ukrainian military. In this sense, Russia would consider, you know, uh, having a real ceasefire. Having a real ceasefire. In this sense, we will have time for uh, for our military build-up and at the same time for domestic reforms in the economic sphere. And then we'll see. What it is? What is it to be a Ukrainian living in this one third of Donbas, which is occupied? Ex extremely difficult situation. Extremely difficult. It. It's very, very difficult, definitely, to live because there's no law there, there's no effective economy there, and so it's it's really very, very difficult even to survive. But the problem is that uh, we can discuss it, but the problem is that uh, unfortunately we cannot influence that situation. We cannot protect the right of Ukrainians who are there. A lot of them left the occupied territories and more almost most almost one million left for ukraine okay uh, so i think in this situation there could be some some contacts including economic contacts including humanitarian conflicts contacts in order to sustain at least basic needs of these people but russia should also participate in a sense that now Russia is preventing Ukrainian humanitarian assistance to this region. People from Lugansk, which is controlled by separatists, the river, and then the village which is controlled by Ukrainian forces. So people from Lugansk are coming to this village, buying food, buying some goods, and then coming back. So basically, if you have some kind of ceasefire, you know, I, I'm pretty sure we will we will win in this economic, you know, competition. So it will have demonstration effect also for those who are in, in within occupied areas. Very good. Thank you very much. This was Professor Alexei Haran from Kiev, who was our guest at the European Council on Foreign Relations. Thanks for listening.